0: Good morning everybody. Hey, um, I had a totally different plan for this morning. There was, there was a mechanical lift right over here all week long and I, my plan was actually to preach from the mechanical lift as it raised me in the air and say the word of God. But I got here this morning, it was gone, so I'm gonna stand here, all right? Hey, uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, we are coming down to the end of this series by the book. We've got one more week after this, but we've been talking about the different gods of our age. And really, they've been the gods of many different ages throughout time. Sex, money, and power. And um, for these few weeks, we started last week talking about power. And last week, we defined the kind of power we're talking about. It's the kind of power that every single one of us has and every single one of us is subjected to. It's authority and influence. And, and last week, we, we got a perspective on it. And that perspective came out of the life of John the Baptist. It was the point authority and influence is to joyfully point at Jesus, not try to be the point. And so last week we got a perspective, and I know what many of you are thinking right now, this is the week I've been waiting for because this is how I find out how to get more authority and influence, and I'm here to tell you that's next week, okay? Today, today I think we got to talk about something before we go there next week. Um, At any given time, every single person in here, you have authority and influence pouring into your life. From all different directions, exerting influence upon you, and the truth is, if we don't if we don't develop some kind of filter, then we could get carried away. Um, and many of you in here, and many of us, men, and myself included, we talked about this last week. We are walking around with some baggage and some scars as a result of someone's influence over us. And so, what kind of filter do we get in place? And we're going to find out what that is this morning in John chapter 6. But I think maybe the best way to show you this is uh, something that happened in our lives a couple months ago. Many of you probably remember the afternoon a couple months ago. We had one of those hailstorms. It was one of those earth-shaking, stomach-rumbling, garden-ruining, thunderstorm hailstorms that we get towards the end of the summer here in Colorado. And we were in our car on the way home, and we got home, got in the garage, and our kids just bolted out of the car, into their rooms, under the covers. And anytime we get that much moisture that quickly, I'm just walking around the house, just waiting to hear the sump pump come on in the basement. And a few minutes went by, and it wasn't coming on. And then a couple more minutes went by, and it wasn't coming on. So I opened the door to the basement. And I walked down into the basement, and I looked around, and everything's dry, but I looked over at the power outlet where the sump pump is usually plugged in, and it wasn't plugged in. But something else was plugged in. A Barbie lamp! A Barbie lamp! And I thought, yeah, that's what you need in the middle of a storm like this, is the sump pump, you can hear it filling with water. So I unplugged the Barbie lamp, plugged in the sump pump, and it did its thing, and I went upstairs, and I got each of our kids. And uh, we marched down to the basement, and we all stood around the power outlet. And I explained to them, if we unplug this sump pump, then what could happen is the basement could fill with water. And in my mind, that's a bad thing, but our five-year-old True said, so we're going to have a pool in our basement? (laughs) And she's jumping up and down, and at the time, he was two. Our two-year-old Lincoln's jumping up and down, and they finally calmed down. And a couple of them told me, "Well," we did that because, Dad, it's the scariest thing in the world to come down into a dark basement. So they went, Ah. now it makes sense. See, when the scariest thing in your world is a dark basement, then the most important thing in your world is a Barbie lamp. Let me rephrase that. When the most powerful thing in your world is a dark basement, then the most important thing... Is a light that gets rid of the dark. One idea for you this morning, one idea that I want you to take away. What we give authority to influences what we give priority to. What you give authority to will influence what you give priority to. And this morning, as we open up to John chapter 6, you're gonna see this crowd. And in front of the face of this crowd, um, you're going to see what the most important thing to them is. They're following Jesus around. You'll see all this in a minute. But they've got something right in front of their faces, and it's driving their every priority. And Jesus has something to say about it. And as you look at their situation, even though it's different from ours, his words to them are his words to us. So if you've got your Bibles, we're in John chapter 6. Um, If not, it'll be up on screen here. But um, here's what's happening. Going into John chapter 6, in John chapter 5, Jesus has been healing people. And and the, the religious leaders see all this, and they're not happy. And so they confront Jesus about it. And they say, well, why are you doing all this stuff? And Jesus establishes, I'm doing all this stuff because I submit to my heavenly Father. And he's given me authority to do this stuff and so that's the background as we head into John chapter 6 and verse 1 of John chapter 6 goes like this sometime after this Jesus crossed to the far shore of the sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick now here's what you need to know about the crowd because as you walk through this passage you see this crowd is made up of many different people okay you've got the crowd those who really don't even know what's going on. Okay? They're just, they see a mob, they're excited, they follow after it. Then you've got the religious leaders who are constantly following Jesus around, trying to trap him. And then you've got the disciples. Now, when I say the disciples, I don't mean the 12 disciples that we're used to thinking about when you hear the term disciples. I mean, at any given time, there were many more disciples that were following Jesus around, and they all had varying degrees of devotion to Jesus. Okay, so part of this crowd were those disciples. And the other part of this crowd are, we'll call them the apostles. Those are the ones you think of when you think of the 12 disciples. So the crowd's made up of many different people, and that's going to be important in a little bit. Okay, so hold on to that. But what happens is Jesus, all these people are following him, and he goes, man, we need to, just need a break. I <laughs> need to get away. And so he, he takes the disciples up to the side of a mountain. And what do you think the crowd does? Yeah, they follow, because he's been healing people. And so they're sitting on the side of this mountain, and here are out in the wilderness, and here are all these people, and here's this crowd, and Jesus looks around. And the interesting thing is it's Passover. Passover is a celebration of God doing what? Delivering his people and providing for his people. So here they are in the middle of the wilderness, and this this Passover theme is running through their brains But before we get to that, let me just ask you, if you're in the middle of the wilderness and you haven't eaten, what's the most important thing in front of your face? Food. Yeah, there is hunger that is very present in your life. And so your priority is food. So Jesus looks around and goes, well, where are we going to find bread for all these people to eat? Now, let me... Let me just come to us for a minute. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting how we can very literally follow Jesus? We can have Jesus right next to us, and yet something else can feel more powerful than him. Maybe it's the hunger of a stomach. Maybe, if if we're talking about us, maybe it's your job situation right now. Maybe it's a marriage situation. You know, maybe it's school stuff coming up or, or sports stuff coming up. See, we all have those things that even though we, you, maybe you follow Jesus and, and you have him right at your side, that feels more powerful. That feels like the authority in your life, doesn't it? It's just interesting. Well, the story goes on, and many of you know the story. Jesus, he, he provides. See, in, in an act of not only testing his disciples' faith, he also provides for the people. And the whole thing is really a sermon in and of itself. We're not actually camping out there this morning. But I want to take you to the verse that you never hear when you, when you hear about this story. All right, it's verse, uh, verse 15. will be on screen, but I'm going to start with verse 14. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Because they'd been expecting a prophet to show up. And then verse 15. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus, knowing they intended to make him king by force, didn't step into it. He withdrew. And we learn two things here. The first one is about Jesus. Jesus didn't come for a human throne. Jesus did not come for a human throne. And we'll get back to that in a minute. But the other thing we learn is something about ourselves. That we want Jesus to be the king of what's in front of us, don't we? I want Jesus to be king of my marriage, of my job situation, of whatever, whatever that pressing issue is in front of me. An election on Tuesday. About a year ago, I was at a, uh, I was at a Broncos game. On a Monday night, it was freezing, they're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and because it was cold, I just don't think either team played as well as they could. So the Broncos, they're, they're losing, and they drive down the field, and they need to kick a field goal to tie the game up. And, and so they line up for a field goal, and there's a penalty, and they get backed up five yards, and then the person I was with reached over, grabbed my arm, and they said, Pastor, it's time to pray. And I went, that's so silly. Like, why would we pray about that? It's because we want Jesus to be the king of what's in front of us. And then the guy behind us heard him say that. And he's like, you're a pastor. Now's the time to pray. And I was like, oh, Jesus, please come through. Broncos did make the field goal. (laughs) And I just thought that was so silly. Even I left that night, I thought, gosh, the things we pray about. So two months ago, you guys know I'm a Michigan Wolverines football fan, and uh, no comments from the Ohio State fans, please, all right? But a couple months ago, Michigan is playing CU, and they, they get down by like two or three touchdowns in the first quarter, and what do you think my prayer life was like in the first quarter? Because I want Jesus to be king of this situation in front of me, we all do it, well, it goes into the evening, and there's this other little real small miracle that you've maybe heard about. Jesus, there's a storm comes up, his disciples are in a boat, and he, he just walks on water. And, and it says, and then he gets in the boat, and it says, they were willing to take him into the boat. And I thought, I bet they were, because we want him to be king of what's in front of us. And they arrive at the other side of the shore, and the next morning, the crowd that they that they had that he had fed and then they moved on from the crowd finds jesus and they come to him they go how'd you get here and look at his reply to them this is verse 26 jesus answered i tell you the truth you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs but because you ate the loaves and had your fill The thing about the book of John is John highlights the miracles that Jesus did. But he doesn't highlight the miracles Jesus performed for the reason that you and I may think. John's whole goal is to show that Jesus has the authority of being the son of God. But Jesus looks at the people. He says, you didn't come for me. You didn't come because I'm the Son of God. You're looking for me because you physically ate yesterday and now you're sati- and you were satisfied, and now here we are the next morning, and you're hungry again. You want more food. And then Jesus, then Jesus says something that impacts you and me directly. Look what he says. Verse 27: "Do not work for food that spoils, spoils. We all understand that word, right? Food that spoils. I mean, you understand this. I mean, this is why you can have a, a an amazing steak dinner, and then like two hours later, you stand in front of the fridge and you're like, "Food! I need food!" Right? Because you're hungry again. Okay. It's why you can live in the house you live in, and look around and go, ah, "I wish that was different," and I wish that was different. And it'd be nice if we had this, and it'd be nice if we had that. It's because you're still hungry inside. This is why you can ace a test. This is why you can come in first place. This is why every you can get a raise. And, and that feels good on the outside, but you can still be hungry inside, can't you? And then Jesus continues, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. In other words, you have another part and I have another part of our, of our lives. There's another part that just gets totally forgotten about because we focus on the physical to the exclusion to the pushing aside of the spiritual aspect of our lives. And Jesus says, that part of your life needs nourished too. In other words, you're coming to me with a hungry stomach, but I'm telling you deep down you've got a hungry spirit and it needs to be nourished. He continues, He says, work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will, and here's that word again this week, give you. If you weren't here last week, John, the writer of the book of John, he says or references this idea of given, something that's given from the Heavenly Father 76 different times. This is kind of a big deal in the book of John. He says, the Son of Man will give you this food. And then he says this, on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Let me ask you something. When you've been out like looking for a product to buy, is it not true that at some point I mean some of us just ignore this stuff, but sometimes if there's a seal of approval, well that says something to us. See, a seal of approval is what comes as a stamp of the authority of the one who stamped it. And what Jesus is saying here is I have the authority To give you the food that leads to eternal life. And I have the authority to give you eternal life. He's establishing this authority. And then look what they say. This is just where we live. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? What must we do? And if Nathan was standing there, Nathan would be like, Hey, morons, he just said he'd give it to you. Why are you saying, Why do you feel like you got to pay for it? And yet Jesus is much more gracious than Nathan. Look what Jesus says. Verse 29. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. To have faith in the authority of the one he has sent. And you see something else here. That while we we want Jesus to be king of what's in front of us, Jesus wants to be king of what's inside of us. We want Jesus to be king of what's in front of us, but Jesus wants to be king of what's inside of us. There's, there's an old story of, of a soldier. He's come back from battle along with some others, and they're at a parade, and they're on this viewing stand, and their drill sergeant is marching back and forth, and he's just he's, he's watching all of them to make sure that they're in line, they're standing at attention, that they're presentable for the crowd to see. And one of the soldiers, he, he's standing on this stand, and the drill sergeant walks by, and suddenly looks out in the crowd, and he's like, and the drill sergeant catches this, and he says, what are you doing? Do you have any idea what, what's going to happen to you if I catch you doing that anymore? The soldier said, yes, sir. So the drill sergeant keeps walking, and right as he turns around, the soldier looks out in the crowd, and he's like, and the drill sergeant says, when we get back to the barracks, to the base, we're going to have a conversation. You're not going to like it. Drill sergeant keeps going, turns around. And one more time, the soldier's like, so they get back to the base, and the drill sergeant is going, what is wrong with you? Don't, don't you realize what I could do to you? Don't you respect me? Don't you fear me? And the soldier said, yeah, I, I respect you, but you don't know my mom. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus is looking at, at this crowd, and he's saying, look, you may have the orders of the physical life barking at you, you may have the power of the physical life that's barking at you. It's got you scared and afraid. But I want to have a deeper influence on you. And I want to be a deeper authority with you. Well, this, th- he keeps talking to the, to the crowd here. And he keeps talking to the crowd and Jesus launches into what may be the strangest sermon in, in history. Because Jesus starts saying some things that kind of send the crowd over the edge. He says one of the things he says, he says, just like he had bread yesterday, I'm the bread of life who comes down from heaven to nourish you. And the, the religious leaders are looking at him and they're going, he didn't come from heaven. We, we know Joseph and Mary. We know his parents. We know exactly where you come from, Jesus. You're not the bread of life who comes from heaven. And then Jesus says something else, really, really strange. He said, my flesh Is that bread? And if you don't eat my flesh, you have no life in you. And I'm going, what? I mean, that's strange, Jesus, and that's a a little bit unsettling. And then he continues, he says, If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have life. And at this point, the crowd is just going, Who is this? And the disciples got to be thinking, this was going so well yesterday. But today, eat your flesh and drink your blood. Try that one with your neighbors next time you invite them to church. Like, hey, I really want to have, I want to see you in eternity. You just got to come and eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. That'd be a little strange, wouldn't it? And there were actually accusations of Jesus and his disciples in that day that these guys were cannibals because the people at that time thought only about the physical life and they didn't realize Jesus is talking about the spiritual life. And maybe most striking about what's happening while Jesus is saying this is the response of everyone in the crowd. Because they say things like, okay, Jesus, prove it. Show us. Grumble, grumble, grumble. We already know who you are, Jesus. We know where you come from. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I don't see how this could happen, Jesus. I don't understand what you're getting at. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And it all culminates in this thing that they say in verse 60. Look at verse 60. On hearing this, many of his, who is it? Disciples. See, the crowd has faded away. The religious leaders have now faded away, and it's the disciples who say this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can accept it? And the things you see them saying throughout Jesus' little message here really revolve around things. These are attitudes of the heart that ultimately say, I don't want to. He said, believe in me, I don't want to. Because he hasn't proven it, even though he did this miracle the day before. We already know all about him. I don't understand how. So I can't accept this. Now let's talk about us for a minute. Is it not true that you got some things in life that uh, you've probably said some of those things about? Right? We're looking at the job situation and we're going, I, I don't see how this is gonna work out. I, I've already tried all the opportunities that are out there. It's it's the marriage stuff. It's school, it's homework, and we say these things. These are attitudes of the heart. I don't see how anything's going to come out of this. I can't accept this. You know, for me, you want to know where this got me about a month ago? What's coming up this Tuesday? The election. The election. And I've been looking at this election, I've just been going, man, I just don't see how. I don't see how. If somebody gets into office, I don't see how this country is going to stay what it's been. I don't see how God could use it. And, and you want to know what just smacked me right in the face as I was reading this? Nathan, where's your faith? Because it's your faith. It's Jesus being the bread of life, nourishing your faith as you walk through what you walk through. And I went, oh man. I mean, up to that point, I'd been thinking of doing a write-in ballot. It was either going to be Abraham Lincoln, or it was going to be George Washington, or it was going to be Reagan, all right? And I suddenly went, where's my faith? Where's my faith that I can get out, and I can vote, and I can have a voice, and I can let go of the outcome? And Jesus can take care of it. He's got it. And if somebody becomes president that changes our way of life, that maybe takes some things away or takes some things down, because that's really what I was worried about, guess what becomes much more, much more, much more applicable? This. Because throughout this, God's people, you don't see them as the majority. You see them as the minority, and they write what they write being buried under the circumstances and buried under other empires and buried under other cultures. And yet God keeps doing what God is doing. And you know what could keep you from seeing that? The attitudes of the heart. So I went, oh, okay, Lord. And look at, look at Jesus' response to them. Verse 61, aware, because he's God, so he knows, and he can't hide this, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? In other words, you could see me go right back to where I came from, and an attitude of the heart would keep you from having faith if what I've done so far hasn't convinced you, if what I've said so far hasn't convinced you, then I could go, I could ascend to heaven and that wouldn't convince you. And then he continues, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. He's saying, guys, what I've been talking about this whole time is nourishing your spiritual life. And then he says this, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. You remember the other time Jesus said this? It was when someone else was trying to make him king, the enemy. Satan is standing before him and he's tempting him. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying, these words I'm giving you, it's because I have the authority of God and they are life-giving. And then verse 64, yet there are some of you who do not Believe. He's saying you've allowed an attitude of your heart to take the place that Jesus should have. And what you see here is the thing that often keeps Jesus from being the king of what's inside of us are the attitudes inside of us. And I know it's easy to be hard on them, but we could understand, right? This would be like, what Jesus is showing them here is this would be like your garbage man. Your garbage man shows up at your house, and he picks up all the garbage and throws it in the trash, and then he just walks into your house. And he's like, now that I've cleared the garbage from the street, I want to clear the garbage in your life. Well, what would you do? You'd go, get out of my house. This would be the milkman showing up with the milk and saying, now that I've delivered milk that will nourish you, well, I I want you to have the inside of you nourished. And you'd be like, what are you doing in my house? This would be like the lawn company showing up and they manicure the lawn and then they just walk into your house and they say, now I want to manicure your life. You'd be like, "That's it. okay, where are all you guys coming from? Get out of my house. Right, that's, what, that's how we would respond and that's how some of them responded. Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned aback and no longer followed him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, that's one of the responses we can have to Jesus' invitation to faith. We can back out. A few verses later, John throws in a little detail that Judas was among this crowd. And Jesus points out that among them was a devil. And because Judas had something else on the throne of his heart, Judas' response was betrayal. So you could back out, you could betray, but I want us to land on the response of all people of Simon Peter. Peter that we pick on because Peter just doesn't get it, and Peter just doesn't understand, and Peter just, it's just failure after failure after failure, it seems like. But listen to what Peter says. This should give us some encouragement. Simon Peter, oh, sorry, Jesus says, You do not want to leave two, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Now he's looking at the apostles. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Peter in his mind, he's he he just kind of thought through all the options and he's like, Where where would we go? To get what you just described, to get that nourishment, where else would we go? And for Peter especially, I mean, Jesus, I don't, I don't get you. A lot of the time I just, it goes right over my head. But I know there's nowhere else to go but you. And he continues. You have the words of eternal life. Your words, Jesus, have nourished me in the midst of my failures. Your words, Jesus, have nourished me in the midst of the really, really big stuff in front of my face that I've given authority to, that I've given power to. And then he finishes with this. We believe. We have faith. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You want to talk about a defining moment? This is Peter saying, Jesus, you're my authority, so that's going to influence my priorities. See, whoever holds authority in our hearts influences the priorities of our lives. Whoever holds the authority of our hearts influences the priorities of our lives. How are you walking through what you're walking through? What's nourishing you as you walk through what you walk through? About six years ago, There's a close group of friends that we grew, grew up here with at the church. Um, did a lot of youth trips together. We did a lot of opportunities to serve together. We walked down the hallways of high school together. We walked through college years together. And uh, some time went on about six years ago. I started to hear some of those statements out of their mouths about the church. I... I don't see how this place is going to keep going. I don't, I don't see how it's going to work, and I already know what's going to happen. And they called a meeting one night, and there were four of them, and we were sitting at their house. There were four of them, and then it was myself, my wife Kara, and Ryan Long. And as we sat in the living room of this house, I couldn't believe the words that I heard because they said, we're out of here. And we're all going. They pointed to all seven of us in the circle. We're all going. And when we go, it's going to crumble. But we're all doing this together. And I was, um, I was quaking inside. Is probably the only word. I mean, just cringing. Um, and I couldn't even form the words to say anything. And, and there's just this this hurricane going on inside. And, and we drove home, and we got home. And my wife. Husbands, they say that the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like the voice of your wife, okay? And I'd say, yep, it's, it's true, Kara. She cut through the fog that was in, in my heart and in my mind, and she said, I know what they think we're going to do, and I know what they think is going to happen, but I don't think that's what he's saying. And that's the voice of somebody who, in their heart, has established, you're my authority, so that's going to influence my priorities. Two minutes later, I'm not kidding, two minutes later, phone rings, Ryan Long. Almost word for word, the words that came out of my wife's mouth, came out of the mouth of Ryan Long. He said, listen, I don't know where you guys are at with what we just heard, but I'm staying put because God hasn't told me it's time to go. That's that's what it sounds like when somebody has established in their heart, Jesus, you're my authority, so that's going to influence my priority. And, And I look back, and I have to think that at some point, Peter looked back to that moment too in which he said this to Jesus, I thought oh my goodness what if I'd walked out what if what if I'd left at that moment what if I'd bailed to where else would I go I mean that's kind of like that's kind of like your basement flooding and plugging in a barbie lamp (laughs) where else would I go and I look back and I the things that the Lord has blessed these eyes to see The things I've gotten to see him use me to do. It's not about me, but I sit here and I think, what if I'd walked out on that? The change I've seen in people's lives, the encouragement I've seen him bring through people. See, that's the kind of thing that will nourish your spirit for a lifetime. Whoever holds the authority of our hearts influences the priorities of our lives. We'll wrap all this up next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who, even when we don't understand you, you give us the opportunity to accept you, to believe in you, to have faith in you. And so Lord, wherever those attitudes of the heart are that are hardening us, that are maybe thinking, making us think that we need to understand you before we accept you, Lord, drown those out. And give us the response. I don't think that came from Peter's own flesh. I think you gave him that answer. Give us that response. Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Settle that in our hearts as we walk into this week and all the stuff in front of our faces that feels so powerful and seems to have so much authority. Let us view it through that filter through the filter of the one who has authority on our hearts, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And let that influence our priorities. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Don't forget, newcomer lunch downstairs after this. Have a great week.